Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, we come now to the fourth Sunday of Lent, and I'm going to continue my reading of these marvelous Old Testament readings the Church gives us for this holy season. We've been kind of walking our way through salvation history, looking at the great texts about the original blessing and the original sin, then looking at the call of Abraham, the beginning of God's rescue operation. Just last week, we looked at the book of Exodus and the great stories of, of liberation, and we saw how the road to healing is always blocked. The, the road of conversion is always a painful one, but yet we have to press on under God's providence. Well, now we come in week four to the first book of Samuel, and the account of King David. So we're moving our way through salvation history. And the story of David, which comes from really one of the great literary works uh, from the ancient world, what we call First and Second Samuel is one great you know, text, one great story. It's narrative that's rich in theology, psychology, history, politics, human relationships. At the heart of it is this figure of David, who I would say, along with Abraham and Moses, is the most important character in the Old Testament. And as we look at the passage for today and we meditate upon his story, a number of very important Lenten spiritual themes emerge. So the passage for today from 1 Samuel is about the really very beginning of the story of David. A man described, quote, as being after the heart of the Lord. It's very interesting, isn't it? By looking into David's heart, we will indeed see something important about God. He's after God's heart. But also we see the kind of person that God wants us to be. So as we're walking this path of conversion, uh, David emerges as an important figure to look at. We want to be after the heart of God, right? That's what the spiritual life's all about. So in the reading for today, we hear that the prophet Samuel, having rejected King Saul, comes to Bethlehem and the house of Jesse. For the Lord had revealed that the new king would be one of Jesse's sons. So the prophet takes one look at Eliab, the eldest, notices how striking, tall, and handsome this young man is, and he says, well, surely the Lord's anointed is, is before me. But God quietly tells him, Do not judge from his appearance or from his lofty stature. Not as man sees, does God see. For God sees the heart. And there it is again. A man after the heart of the Lord. So all seven of Jesse's sons are brought before the prophet. But none of them is the one. So finally, Samuel says, well, have you no more sons? 
and then it's beautifully told in the story as, as though it's an, it's an afterthought. Jesse says, well, yeah, there's the youngest who's out tending the sheep. You know, the obvious inclination is, well, it couldn't be him. Well, this, of course, is David. And when he appears, Samuel is told by the Lord, that's the one. And then, I, for, I don't know why, but for some reason, I always find this line very moving. It says, from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. Okay, so here's the question, I think, everybody. What is it that the Lord sees in this young man? And mind you, the Lord's seeing not just what he is, but what he will become, right? The Lord who's outside of time, sees the whole arc of our life. What does he see? What appears when the Lord looks not at his outward appearance, but into his heart? Let me mention now just a couple things. We might remark first that the young man is a humble shepherd who does not put himself forward for great things. He's doing simple, let's face it, rather tedious work. He's not been entrusted with some great project. And as we saw, he's something of an afterthought, even for his own father. Listen now, everybody. Every single spiritual master says, I mean ancient, medieval, modern, every one of them, that the prime virtue is humility. Both Augustine and St. Bernard said that. We're asking, you know, what are the most important things? And they said, well, there are three things that are most important in the spiritual life. Humility, humility, and humility. Now, how come? Well, it makes perfect sense because the greatest sin is pride. Now, go right back three weeks ago. We talked about the, the original sin. What is it? Arrogating to oneself the prerogative of determining good and evil. It's making yourself in, in your pride into God. So, therefore, it's clear the antidote to that is humility. When we lower ourselves, and that's where the word you know comes from, Humilitas, humus in Latin means the earth or the ground. When we lower ourselves, when we empty ourselves out, now we're ready for the influence of God. When we know that our own ego is nothing, then God can become our everything. Paul says, it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. Do you see how that's the, the voice of a humble person? Now, mind you, and Paul's a good example here, this has nothing to do with kind of some exaggerated abjection or, or you know, so low self-esteem. Obviously, Paul didn't have any of that. It has to do with this attitude of acquiescence to the will of God, that I humble my own ego so that I can allow God to live and work and operate in me. Well, David has this quality as a little kid, as the shepherd boy, but watch him throughout his great career. When David succeeds, it's always because he listens. When he succeeds, it's when he suppresses his own egotistical desires. And does what God wants. 
Okay? Second quality, I think, that makes David a man after God's heart is that he's a fighter. From the confrontation with Goliath, when David is a young man, his fending off of a bear to perfect, to protect his flock when he's he's even younger, his numerous confrontations with the Philistines all throughout his life, David fights. All of Israel's kings are warriors, but David is, is a kind of the warrior par excellence. Now, please, I want to be careful here. I have no intention whatsoever of romanticizing violence or warfare in the conventional sense. We should read these texts more metaphorically. Goliath, the bear, the Philistines, the enemies of Israel, all stand, if you want, for those things that are opposed to God's intentions. So think of them as as hatred, violence, stupidity, cruelty, injustice, all the all the manifestations of sin, all the tohu vabohu. David is a fighter. Our proper task is to stand with the Lord against these things. We don't just roll over and acquiesce in the face of these powers, but rather with God's help and under his guidance, we enter into the fray. Now, you remember... What happened to David when at sort of midlife he becomes a little a little fat and sassy? <laughs> David, instead of going on campaign, he stays at home taking a long siesta. And then strolling on the roof of his palace, he surveys Bathsheba, the object of his desire, even though she's a married woman. He sends for her. He has her. David there is not listening to God. He's acting like God. There's the original sin played out again, isn't it? Not abiding by God's commands, but now arrogating to yourself the prerogative of determining good and evil. At his worst, David is not a fighter. At his best, he is. So should we, everybody, get into the fray. And a third and final quality of David I'll draw attention to is his singing. In the lovely King James rendering, David is referred to as the sweet singer of the house of Israel. Of course, he's associated with the Psalms, and it's quite possible that some of the Psalms we have go back to David himself. But it's interesting, one of the first things we we hear about David in 1 Samuel is that he comes to Saul and he plays and sings for him. But then, throughout the Samuel literature, David delivers himself of great speeches and orations. Go reread that speech he gives before he engages Goliath. It's beautiful. You know, you come after me with sword and scimitar, but I come after you in the power of the Lord God. Think of his beautiful poetic lament upon the death of Saul and Jonathan, how the mighty have fallen upon the heights of Israel. Read that in the very beginning of 2 Samuel. How often great political leaders have stirred their people precisely through speech. Think of Franklin Roosevelt's you know, inaugural. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Think of Churchill's addresses during the Blitz. We'll fight in the beaches. We'll fight in the landing grounds. We'll fight in the cities. We'll never surrender. Think of Lincoln's 
Gettysburg Address and Second Inaugural. Think of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. What are these but sweet singers of their people articulating and giving expression to their highest ideals? From St. Paul to John Paul II, how often the church has been shaped by great words. Now, I'm not saying that you know everyone uh, can or should rise to that level of eloquence, but I am indeed saying that all of us, in our own way, should become sweet singers of the house of Israel. Now, what do I mean? I mean, we should dare to declare and proclaim and announce and to sing our faith in a way that people find compelling. This is the Vatican II call to universal holiness and to evangelize. I mean, every one of us. Announcing to the world, singing to the world, what it is we find so compelling about the faith. So everybody, on this um, fourth Sunday of Lent, it's good for us to pause and take a good hard look at David. You know, a compromised figure, a, a man both good and good and bad, light and shadow. But three great lessons we can learn from him. He's humble. At his best, he listens. At his best, he fights. He campaigns against the forces arrayed against the purposes of God. And finally, David sings. We should do all three, too. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.